You're listening to The Itch. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. And this week we're scratching the itch to make a list, which we haven't done in quite a while. What kind of list? It's going to be a list in no particular order. We should let you know this is not a best of per se, but a list of 10 albums turning 10. So a series of albums that came out in 2011 that for one reason or another, we found notable. We'll say in the rock world. I think that's a, a little bit of a loose term, but since we are a rock show, more or less, it still qualifies. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say no particular order because we are kind of building up to the itch's favorites. That is true, but that's but that's all. We're not suggesting this is number one through ten yes. of these are the best albums per se. We did just, before we came on here, look up our top ten top 20 actually from this year to see what the overlap was. And it was pretty strong. <laughs> and so uh, this is not that as- official same list. Cause as people might not be aware, we have been doing a radio show for 17 years and every year at the end of the year, we count down our top 20 albums of the year. And so, yeah, most of the albums that we talked about made our top 10 for the year 2011. And, you know, I just want to take a moment to note that it's real hard to break an addiction and, uh, Dan used to state that fact about the length of our radio show every single episode. (laughs) And lately it's only every few episodes. And I just, I want to applaud him for his uh, restraint there. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll be quite honest. One of the reasons why is because it's been a year and a half almost since we've been doing the radio show. Uh, And, and so it, it almost feels like I'm lying when I say, oh yeah, we've been doing it for 17 years. (laughs) Right. Because technically we haven't. (laughs) Is it a continuous thing where this takes the place of the radio show? Or do you say we did a radio show for 16 years? Because the end game is still ultimately, it sounds like to return to it. And so it's kind of, that is dicey territory. How, how do we talk about that? (laughs) We took a long pause. (laughs) Exactly. We could say we've been broadcasting in some way or another for 17 years. That's, I like that. It's a little more convoluted, but it's accurate. I like that. (laughs) Well, speaking of the radio station, funny thing. So the first album I'm going to talk about today would not have even crossed my ears had it not been for our radio station. Mm -hmm. Um, This was actually sent to the radio station as an album advance. And I'll be quite honest, like I've never been a huge, huge fan of Jane's Addiction. But when I first got this album for free. I was like, hell yeah, I'll listen to it. Sure. Why not? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it's free. You know, why not? Uh, trying to find something good to play on our show. And at the time, everything's on our show has always been played mainly for our own funds. Uh, usually we buy the music ourselves or we have about three or four contributors to the music on our show. And so when we get additional <laughs> CDs for free, uh, yeah, we're going to make it work. And yeah, so they sent us Jane's Addictions, the great escape artists. And I have to say, like, But this album was fantastic. So good that they haven't done anything since (laughs) 10 years. They've just been sitting on this album. That's how good it was. (laughs) They're just like, let's rest on our laurels. This album says everything. We'll just sit here for a while. Funny enough, though, it's really actually hilarious because I I didn't know this until today. So one of the reasons why they've taken so long is because this album, The Great Escape Artist, was considered a concept album. It's kind of an album that's all about escaping. There's different means of escaping. You know, there's a couple of songs that are about like sex. There's a couple of songs about 
drugs that are you know there's very that's one of the reasons why i really really like this album is because everything kind of has a, a hidden innuendo or a little undertone meaning to it but he's not very forthcoming with with his lyrics and and so I, that's one reason why i really really like this album a lot but the funny thing is so perry farrell has actually stated that uh they have been trying to release a follow-up to this honestly since february 12 2012 but he said that what he, what I have not seen before is a group that's done a record, had somewhat of a theme, escapism, and then done a second record as if it was a follow-up movie. I want to do that. We have material left from the great escape artist we didn't record. I'm very inspired to keep with the same thing. Something's feeling right about it. Well, obviously it wasn't because that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> he, escaped, he escaped other ways. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you're still working on that, you were working too hard and you need to just put the thing out. Well, and I think that's what it is, is that, you know, this is such a great album and he, you know, they probably had a lot of ideas and stuff of what they wanted to follow up. But I don't know the band that well, but a band that's been around like this and is so well known, I'm sure that they're kind of perfectionists in the sense that, you know, they're not going to put out stuff that they don't think is good because they take their time with their music before this album was released. Their last album was Strays that wasn't released until 2001. Prior to that, the album that was released was ritual de hello habitual uh which was in 1991 now granted a lot of these times is because they broke up and it's rather the reason why dave navarro was in chili peppers for a long time because jane's addiction was not a thing but yeah so that that's kind of i think one reason why they haven't done anything since this album is because they're just huh you know a couple notes here so you just said their albums are 2011 2001 and 91 yeah so what we're saying is that they should be in the studio right now, literally. Yes. yes. Like something needs to come out this year, or else they're gonna break their streak, their decade streak. And that's gonna be an issue. I can't we can't be having that. It gotta be consistent, guys. Yeah. I think I can understand why that they don't go wild making albums. For one, I think this is a band that doesn't necessarily need to in terms of making money. I think they're good to go on that. It's not like they have to to to, to grind to make their living. And then two, as you just alluded to with the whole movie thing and then any anything else, pe- you know, about Perry Farrell, like the dude seems kind of just like a general mm, creative weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like he might have a lot of ambition. I mean, he's the guy, one of the guys who founded Lollapalooza. You know, he's a guy who invented a, a, a music festival that still exists to this day. He's a dude who does different things. So maybe just, you know, music creation hasn't been his biggest thing for a while. Well, I think also this is another band that the pandemic kind of ceased their plans because they actually played a show February 2020, uh, the first time that they had played a show in over two years. And then obviously, you know, the pandemic happened and, and for, first and last after <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, obviously. So um, so I think that's that's kind of what has stumped their progress a little bit, too. But, you know, getting back to the great escape artist, this this album was just fantastic and, and it kind of started when uh, they actually had the basis from Guns N' Roses join them a little bit, uh, Duff McKeegan. So he was actually working with the band for a little bit on this album. And then they got another bassist by the name of Dave Sitek. He actually replaced Duff and he was supposed to, he basically did record the rest of the bass lines for this album. And then right after that, he left. <laughs> he just <laughs> went off and did his own thing. Uh, and they picked up another bassist, Chris Cheney, that was for their live shows. So this band has continuously had a uh, revolving door. Yeah. Revolving door. Um, and you know, what's funny about this. So real quick n- note for local music, 
the tour for this album actually launched in 2012 to a sold out crowd at the 2000 seat pageant theater in St. Louis, Missouri. There you go. So they actually kicked off the tour here, right here in Missouri at the pageant, which is a great venue. Shout out to the pageant. Yeah. Can I make a, a quick note about this album? Art is very interesting. <laughs> it is weird. It looks it's like it seems to be a painting, but it almost has like a claymation look yeah. to it as they can. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's claymation either way. It appears to be we'll call him probably a teenage boy based on what the room looks like in, in his room. Um, it's a dude wearing a banana hammock and wrapping his arms all the way around himself. Yeah. And <laughs> so I think the greatest the, it, it works kind of with the escape artist thing, because you, you've seen people give you like a self hug kind of thing. This is that, but if you look carefully, it appears that his arms wrap all the way around his body again. And so it's kind of creepy, to be honest. But yeah. then again, Jane's Addiction has also got a history of strange album covers. Um, yeah, and being it's, weird. It's not, yeah, they're, they're, they're just oddballs. And so yeah. it's not different for them. Um, yeah, do you want to give them a shout out? Huh? I was just gonna say Perry Farrell's always known for being weird. Right, right, right. <laughs> Even if you just listen to the man's voice, like in his speaking voice, he's he's strange to hear. He just seems like he's on a different planet. <laughs> I mean, but that's what makes bands so unique, especially bands like this, because they all have such unique characters, uh very, very um talented artists too, that you know, you're just you're not gonna find that anywhere else. There's no way. Like you're not going to find Perry for you're not going to find another person like him anywhere else. No, just, no, no it just doesn't happen. It's just like, you know, Scott Weiland. You're not going to find somebody like that or, you know, they, they just have like their own a Jagger. They just have like their own like swagger to them. There's very unique rock star swaggers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, uh, Steven Tyler, you know, they all have like the this weird like jive, like, yeah, rock star jive. Like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just strange. They have their own Perry movement. Perry is definitely one of them. <laughs> Yeah. A little, little slithery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. that that's that's good. Good way to good. put it. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with words. <laughs> uh, quick, quick thing. This is not part of that album. But before we move on to the next one, shout out to them as we were admiring before we went on air to Jane's Addiction to, for doing the song Superhero, which was the the theme for the television show Entourage. Yes. Yeah, just, just, just a quick shout out to that. Yeah, All so. Right. This album had many singles off of it, and some of them I think were better than the others. You know, Irresistible Force that was their second single, Into the Lies were their first single, which wasn't the strongest song. Actually, I think Into Lies is probably one of their weakest singles. And they came out with Underground and Twisted Tales. All of these songs are so so fantastic, and and there's so many other songs that could have been singles. And I, I know for a fact we played them all on our show, like Curiosity Kills, as well as Splash a Little Water. And there's a reason why this album made its number eight on our list in 2010. It, it was definitely a, a very uh, light album by the itch. Yes. One album that I wanted to bring to attention is Seether's album, holding on to strings, better left to fray. This was pretty much, I mean, Seether has been pretty consistent throughout their career, but I kind of felt like this was right before they kind of broke out really, really big. Cause the album that they released after that was Isolate and Medicate, and that album was a monster. If I'm not mistaken, I think this was the album where they were a four-piece band when they when they released the album, and then shortly after, they left and became a three-piece for a while. If I, am I right about that? 
Yeah, I believe so. And then, yeah, then they picked up uh, Clint Lowry's brother. Yeah, it had some some really killer tracks on it. One of our favorites was uh, "Country Song," our uh, favorite songs of 2011. Got a lot of radio play on our show. <laughs> I think that remains my favorite Seether song, which is weird <laughs> because I have no interest in most of what's actually country. Yes, but that song just it worked. Yeah, you know, I love this album, but I definitely agree with you that like this was the one that kind of set up the next album for the, and they, you know, they they just took off. You know, maybe they understood what sound they they were going for or or needed to this was the album that was kind of right before the bubble burst. Yes. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. And I do think the country song had a good hand in that. Yeah, definitely. I also want to note that it's a fantastic album title in my opinion. It's a very artsy phrasing for a genre that's not known for being that artsy, if that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, Seether definitely has some artsy names like Finding Beauty in Negative Spaces or yeah. what was the most recent one? CV's Petchum Parabellum. Yes. They're better at that than a lot of bands are for sure. <laughs> I think it's from it's their South African heritage. Oh, yeah, I got forgot about the fact that they're South African. I always forget yeah. that. And I think that that's notable. I just it's interesting to hear the take of a band from an entirely different continent than ours. Yeah. And there's there's plenty of tracks on it that talk about the normal things that that Sean likes to talk about, which is uh, going through breakups and trauma and whatnot. <laughs> he goes through a lot of those and they've served his career well. <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> Yes. Uh, this album had, I believe, four singles off of it. They had No Resolution, Here and Now, Tonight, and Country Song. Well, I actually think that this was one of the albums where he kind of got away from a lot of the breakup stuff. Like the previous album was was the one where he kind of bashed Amy Lee for a good couple <laughs> songs. And then like, I do feel like this was the first album where, yeah, there might be a couple songs here and there where it talks about it, but it was more just having fun random yeah. shit yeah it's just i mean every song is just random there's no real theme to anything yeah oh i hate to hear that i do like me a good theme or <laughs> something that ties a an album together yeah they're holding on to strings that's what ties together. yeah <laughs> right right i mean he's letting the strings fray and that's why there's it's not unwinding. a connection between the tracks he's letting it unwind yeah exactly <laughs> but definitely a good album of 2011. All right. I'm going to bring one in here that kind of defies the trend we have and in, in it that I'm not positive. This is an album that either of you guys have heard. Uh, it's definitely not one that we played on the itch. If we have, it was maybe once or twice where I managed to sneak a track in, but that's about it. I'm not even sure if this is the album I would have played music from, but it's a band called mother mother. Uh, they're from Vancouver, Canada, and they had an album called Eureka that came out in 2011 as these do. And I first heard this band. So there was a rock station in St. Louis called 93 X. And that was my favorite rock station in St. Louis for a good while. And on 93 X, I heard this song 
called The Stand by Mother Mother. And it was basically the whole song is this guy doing a very strange, what sounds like a therapy session where, so this band has, they're a pop rock band and they're very well known for these intricate harmonies that involve this lead singer, Ryan Goldemann and his sister, as well as a third singer, a woman named Jasmine Parkin. And so this, the song, The Stand is like a therapy session where Jasmine and Molly are like synchronized asking questions and he's answering them. And it is very unique sounding and it caught me. And I, I always was like, that's a cool song. I should look that band up. Never looked the band up. Never thought about it again for the longest time. Come 2014, uh, Nickel Creek, another one of my favorite artists, put out an album called A Dotted Line. And they covered this song called Hayloft, um, which is about basically it's a, about a, a, an old country farmer catching his his daughter um out in the barn with somebody and uh and taking the shotgun out there to address the matter <laughs> and so um come later to find out that the band that they were covering was a band called mother mother and i was like i've heard these guys before all that to say went back found this album eureka it doesn't have hayloft by the way but that's not really important that was just the origin story for me <laughs> um and and i think this album is fantastic these the harmonies in here are beautiful the lyrics are very clever the album art is the most colorful roaring lion you will ever see. <laughs> like it's scary and also soothing at the same time somehow. And, uh, and I've been a huge fan of these guys ever since there was three singles off of this. You had the stand, you had baby don't dance, which is my personal favorite, which I think that song in itself is so catchy that I don't know how they didn't become huge stars off of it, but they've always been like mildly under the radar. They're known, but not as well known as they probably deserve to be. And then the third song was called Simply Simple. By the way, Baby Don't Dance is literally a song about a guy singing about how his his girlfriend doesn't dance at the shows. <laughs> He's like, nothing moves her. She is she is a rock when everybody's having a good time. And so it's kind of this like tongue in cheek kind of funny thing. And so that is one, like I said, I don't know that we played it on the itch. Um, it definitely wasn't on the top 20 because not even I knew about the album that at that time. Um, but in the years that came later on, I found it to be very worthwhile. So for any listener that appreciates the poppier, uh, dancier side of things, not necessarily in that way that we talked about with like Royal Blood or Nothing But Thieves, it's a very unique sound. But uh, if you like some harmonies, especially guy-girl harmonies and quirkiness, they're, they're a good one to listen to. You said it has an, a lion roaring on the album cover? It does. Yes. So not to give anything away, because I'm not going to say what it is, but that means we have two <laughs> albums on our, that we're talking about that have lions roaring on the album cover. I should have saved it for the end so that I could you could segue it into yours. I didn't think about that until right now. But yeah, we got we got two lions going on here. Yeah. We'll get to that. So what's the one you're going to do now that is not the lion roaring? Yeah, the one that I'm talking about now that's not the lion roaring is a band that had two albums come out last year. This band is continuing to become more and more of a rock band and a rock band that I'm falling even more in love with than I, than I thought I could uh, Hollywood undead. They had an album come out in 2011 called American tragedy, which is actually their follow-up to swan songs. And the best thing that happened to this band and that made this album great is that before they made the album, they dropped deuce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the dropping of deuce. And because we're still 14, anytime we get a chance, we're going to talk about how much we appreciated the dropping of Deuce. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's no doubt. 
for those who don't know, Deuce was a member, the name of a guy in Hollywood Undead who was um, released from his services. <laughs> he was the guy that they referred to as producer. And honestly, this was the album that the band kind of decided they wanted to start going into rock kind of a rockier format mm. and the producer was known to kind of put songs together that were kind of dance club songs yeah. and so they just felt that they had created differences with him they went their separate ways the deuce deuce is still uh <laughs> making music somehow. yeah because um, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah well we saw him yeah, live. we saw, we saw him awful, live man. Oh my by God. himself with with his cronies and it was it was awful it was terrible <laughs> um, but, but the band, so the band Hollywood and Dead picked up a artist by the name of Danny Murillo. I might have said that wrong. Uh, regardless, he was. It was really funny because like he he was an American Idol contestant yeah. that didn't quite make it. Um, and I, I don't know if maybe the band was watching American Idol. Was like, yeah, that's gonna be our next guy, or they, they just knew him. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the story behind that, but it's definitely interesting how he came to be in the band. Um, and then, yeah, I think that. He has made all the difference in the world. It's like from Ashes to New when they picked up Danny Case. That that's exactly what I feel like the the comparison to to this album is. Mm. You know, American Tragedy. They picked up Danny, and which I'm telling you, Danny's are, are great singers. Obviously, <laughs> that's true. <And> so, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's one thing that led to the success of this album. It came out strong with their first single, "Hear Me Now." It was just fantastic, and then. You know, they continued coming with great singles, Bend to Hell, Coming Back Down. And of course, the biggest one that everybody knows is Bullet, which is a very, very upbeat song. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's not very upbeat. <laughs> oh, one of those again. Yeah, it is a song all about suicide. And it's very, very frank oh, about suicide, too. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. They don't shy away from that stuff. There are we- there are one of those bands that um, sings about the dumbest stuff and the most intense yes. stuff. Both. <laughs> Yeah, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm glad that they sing about stuff like that because, you know, for somebody that might have been thinking those things, you know, and a, you know, a band like this comes out and a band that's, you know, known for being popular and, and known for, you know, hitting up the clubs and, and, and you just think that they always have everything great, you know, that, that their lives are great and they put out this song, it, you know, if you're down in the dumps like that, it, it, hopefully you know, that you take solace in knowing that there's other people out there that are dealing with this. And, and um, that's one thing that I absolutely respect about this band because they do hit the hard subjects. They don't, they're not trying to make light of it, um, but they do want it to, you know, just be brought to attention. Yeah. Uh, and, and so like this album was half really heavy rock songs and half kind of club songs. And I think that's one reason why I really liked it, but yeah. And it, it they sing a lot about um, they sing a lot about California, obviously, and that's kind of what main main part of this uh, theme of this album is: is California and just going out and partying and all that fun stuff. <laughs> their their sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Levitate was also another song that was released. It's a up tempo and it also kind of uh, talks about suicide and alcoholism as well. So, like this band just. They don't care. Like they, they'll talk about anything. And one of the things that, you know, if you, if you want a really good laugh and granted <laughs> this album didn't age well, I will say <laughs> that um, in the sense that a lot of their lyrics are chauvinistic yeah. and uh, they've actually come out and said that, you know, they, I don't know exactly what they said, but they didn't say, you know, they said that, you know, there were, there were children. They didn't, 
realize, I guess, at the time what uh, kind of hurt that they put into their lyrics. And so they've grown as, as a band. I think this is this is one album that the, they needed to grow up from, too, to be honest. Yeah. And they like you said, I think Danny uh, joining the band kind of played a big part of that and taking it into a different direction. And I think that the band just realized that, you know, you can't be 30, 35 singing about hitting up the club and, <laughs> you know, so they kind of realized, you know, we got to start maybe actually like being good and, and making good music. Uh, so kudos to them, because I feel that they have done that. Yeah, definitely. One album that I wanted to touch on on 10 Turning 10 is Foo Fighters with Wasting Light. And this was a fantastic album, and one could say that this was an album that um, was like the last one before they changed their sound quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it was their last like alternative album, I feel. But Wasting Light had tons of good songs on it. Bridges Burning, Rope. You had uh, White Limo, which has a great music video with Lemmy Kilmeister. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yes. It brought back that great Foo Fighters tradition of wacky music videos. Yes. And it was also so punk rock like that. White Limo was crazy. It did not sound like anything else that they did. Yeah, this is an album that really grew on me over time. Like our Landria is probably one of my favorite songs, but I don't know if I was a huge fan of that song when it first came out. Mm. Yeah. Well, and two things about this album, I think, made it sound so great. Number one, they brought Pat back into the fold, and he hadn't been a part of the band since uh, The Color and the Shape. And uh, the other thing that they did was they recorded this entire album at uh, Dave Grohl's garage on like analog recording equipment. So it had a lot of raw sounds that you typically don't get when you have a, a lot of overproduced stuff. <laughs> We actually talked about the Foo Fighters in episode 48, the rock roundup, where we discussed their newest album, uh, Medicine at Midnight. Yes. Was it? Yes. Medicine yeah. at Midnight. And one of the things that we mentioned is that I, I think the itch actually is all actually in agreement about this, that that was our favorite Foo Fighters album since this one a decade yes. ago. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Wasting Light uh, kind of surprised me. I'm going to be honest. I think that I was already kind of souring i guess not the yeah. Foo fighters are inherently likable right. but it doesn't mean that i enjoy everything that they do i just give them a lot of leeway because they just have a lot of credibility built up with me yeah um, but you know like echoes was the album before this and that one to me was not that was where they started to drop off a little bit personally aside from a couple of particularly good tracks on it yeah they're always good for a, a good handful of singles on whatever album that they put out but this one wasting light was fantastic yeah i agree and number six on our list for that year and then uh hollywood undead was number three on our list for that year all right i've got one for you guys that was not on our list again <laughs> <laughs> who would have guessed my my final one is on our list i know that for a fact and that's why i'm saving it for my final one <laughs> <laughs> my last next one here this isn't even really a rock album but this is a group that 
for a lot of their career has been played on alternative rock radio. They started out as pretty much a punk band before going hip hop. And this album was very important part of their discography as their final release. And that is the Beastie Boys with the Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. It's worth noting that there never was released a Part 1. It was originally planned to be released as a two-part album. And I've heard different stories that they were like working on them simultaneously and that they decided that part two was ready first. So instead of calling it part one and releasing it first, they just kept its original name and like, we'll finish part one later. (laughs) Um, I've, I've seen somewhere that it looked like the tracks that are on what's called part two were part one originally. I don't, so I don't really get the whole thing with the name, but it's not really, not really that important. Um, What is important was that this is the final album released by Beastie Boys um, before the death of MCA, who uh, who was diagnosed with cancer, which actually delayed this album um, before he would pass away about a year after its release. And actually almost a year to the day after its release. And so the Beastie Boys are always a band that I've appreciated. And interestingly enough, they're a band that I appreciated till the end. I think this is a fantastic album. It's got a lot of fun tracks. It's um, got some quality guest spots with Nas and Sentigold. It's got a track called Multilateral Nuclear Disarmament, (laughs) which Dan and Casey probably remember as the background music to Business Time, our news segment on the radio show for a number Mm -hmm. of years. We we use that track as as an instrumental. And it's just, I still miss the Beasties, and I still think more about the passing of mca than i do a lot of other artists who have passed away since then and um so i'm sad that they had to go out but yeah though they if they did this was a good way to go out because they were still relevant and they were still um good uh right up to the end does does this album uh, have 18 tracks on it probably it's a hip-hop album yeah okay. Seven, 17 tracks okay um because you'll have hip-hop albums almost always have skits and interludes yeah and and a little bit of like shenanigans here and there there's a lot of uh 30 second filler tracks i wouldn't call it filler in in that type of music it's just it's just kind of par for the course that's just like how yeah hip-hop works they just tend to have longer track listings with things that break up the songs more often and in this case, I think that's actually one of the strengths of, of Hot Sauce Committee is that I think it creates for an album experience that doesn't get tiring yeah. and that flows really well together. So kudos to them on that. Again, not really a rock album, but a very, I would say, notable 2011 release. Yeah, they were actually inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the following year after this album. There we go. Yeah, they were the third rap group to ever be inducted into the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. And we discussed in a previous episode how the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is certainly not exclusively for rock and also a joke in many ways. <laughs> but there is still but I don't say that to take full credit. There is still something to be said for those artists who have been inducted into it. They are slowly redeeming themselves. Well, speaking of, just as a very brief side note, the album Casey just talked about, there's some new Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees right there. Exactly. That's what I was talking about. Foo Fighters getting in there this year. So <laughs> along with the long overdue Carol King. Thank you. We were ta- we actually talked about that in one of our episodes. We did. I meant to go back and listen to our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame episode and see 
if we made any accurate predictions and I just got too caught up doing other things. <laughs> I think we got three of them, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. We did. <laughs> Cause I remember Dan specifically asking like, who do you think will get in, in the next, I don't think it was next year per se. I think it was like the next five, but yeah. Hey, so we still have time to be right about the rest. Well, <laughs> Tina, Tina Turner, Tina Turner was one. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think Jay Z. Yeah. Too, isn't he? I think one of us predicted Jay Z. I don't honestly remember yeah. who, but so, cause as, as Dan noted with the beasties and others getting in hip hop is a big part of that now too. And so these guys being the beastie boys being really hip hop trailblazers, especially among white hip hoppers, there aren't too many of them much less until way down the line, too many of them that were taken seriously. But the beastie boys, even though they were kind of goofballs and weirdos, they were pretty much always taken seriously as hip hop artists. They were not well, regarded as a joke, even though they were jokers, if that makes yes. sense. And even the hip hop community respected the hell out of them too. Oh like, yeah. They thought they were a joke at first too. And then, you know, they kept the BC boys were persistent and persistently good. And yeah, they earned their respect. They were three Jewish dudes from the middle of New York. They, they had their credibility. <laughs> they pissed a lot of people off too, because I mean, if you think about it, you know, whites have notoriously st- stolen black people's music. And, you know, this was kind of that feeling again, all over again when this band came out. But, you know, like I said, they earned their respect and, and, uh, and that, you know, the rest is history. Yep. Yeah. But they unfortunately didn't get uh, a chance to uh, put their heads in jars, like on Futurama. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) We're coming down to our last round here. So we're going to save Dan's, to the end as we go for this round and we're going to shuffle back. I think KC and I are going to knock out our, our final uh, selections here. Yes. And then we'll cycle back and, and, and Dan's going to drop what was the number one album of the year for us of 2011. Instead of dropping deuce, he's going to drop the number one album. <laughs> That's right. He's going to drop Uno. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to single. I don't know what you call it. <laughs> He's going to take a number one. Uh, I don't know. All right. I'm, I'm out of here. Go ahead. What do you, what do you got to say about an album? All right. My last one that I'm going to bring up is AWOL Nation's Megalithic Symphony. And ah. this album was fantastic. It set the bar super high for this band, and it's continuously the bar for the band, in my opinion. I mean, they, they've released yeah. good albums since then, but nothing will probably top this album. You had all types of... I, th- I think, other than a handful of tracks, I think we played every single track on our show. <laughs> yeah, even edited them just to make sure I could play them. Yes. <laughs> I remember you guys really loving you some sale at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I think and a couple of the others. Did, honestly, like that was one of the most played songs in the world at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they had other great stuff. What was uh, Kill Your Idols was on there? Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Kill your hero. Not your fault. Not your fault. They were a huge. That was a huge, yeah. like breakout album right there. Soul Wars, burn it down. Guilty, filthy soul. Yeah. It, it, jump on my shoulders. They're all fantastic songs. Like the, every single one of them. We saw AWOL Nation on a side stage at a at a festival, I believe that year, and they were phenomenal live. Yeah, even made us more fans. So, which was kind of strange because. Like as much as we love this album, I don't know if we just didn't get the album until later or what, but we didn't have this on our list. We didn't have it on honorable mentions. So I don't, I don't know what the story is with that. Yes. A mysterious omission. 
that is so very strange. I don't, I don't know. I don't Definitely. Know Cause I know that when we're, I know we were playing sale the same time everybody else yeah. was. I, I was going to say, I feel like you should look at the 2010 and the 2012 just to see if somehow we Crossed misplaced it, yeah. it. I don't know how or why we would have. But... I did actually. And it's not on either one of them. That's so yeah. weird. I wouldn't how, how we could play it and then just forget about it. Like, because this is this would also have been back in the time when I was there too, for the most yeah. part. This is before I moved to Chicago. So three of us somehow that slipped through. <laughs> but so in retrospect, we apologize, a well nation. This album deserved to be on that top twenty, <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna give it. Um, I don't know, uh, top twenty emeritus or whatever, like an honorary degree. <laughs> an honor, an honor, it's not honorable mention. It's. It's an honorary placement, as in our band. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> also of note, um, for anybody who wants to go back, I don't know that I actually recommend this, but I'm just going to do it. <laughs> go back and hear um, how we sounded when we first started the podcast. <laughs> Episode four, which was a good year ago. Yeah. <laughs> Over, Over a year, year ago, actually. Yeah, was about AWOL Nation and their album uh, angel miners and the lightning writers so you can go see how we felt about that there and we've just explained that we were really big fans of megalithic symphony here <laughs> yes all right my last one to add to this list is one of my personal favorite bands another one that we talked to about although much more recently back in episode 45 is chevelle and in 2011 the tail end of 2011 they released an album called hats off to the bull I'm going to be honest with you guys. I still really like this band and the albums since then have grown on me the more I listen to them. But this was the last Chevelle album that I loved right from the start. Face to the Floor was just a, a killer single. Hats Off to the Bull itself um, was one of my very favorites. They had a couple other great tracks. They had Pinata, which I thought <laughs> had like a almost almost a system of the down kind of sound to it, which was pretty sweet. I just I adored this. And um, and it was it was also another one that added a handful of great tracks to their live show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I'm a huge fan of the meddler. Yes, me too. Yeah, the meddler is. Yep. It's one of my favorites. Um, this is this is a quality one. And uh I don't know what else I actually have to say. I just really enjoyed it, to be honest. It was very high on our list. That's for sure. It was uh, number four. And we played a ton of stuff off of it. I I'm pretty sure we played mainly almost every single song. Yeah. And I want to note um, Dean Bernardini, their brother, the the Leffler brothers, brother-in-law, and now former bassist, unfortunately, as they are officially a two-piece in terms of official members, um, actually played organ on a couple of tracks on this <laughs> album. Yep. Nice. On Prima Donna and Envy, he busted and, out the organ. And additional drums on Envy. So he played all kinds of song, uh, musical instruments during Envy. <laughs> and Natalie Bernardini, this is something I actually never knew until this exact moment. Natalie <sighs> Bernardini, who I'm going to presume to be Dean's wife slash Pete and Sam's sister, mm-hmm. yeah. did backing vocals on the song Same Old Trip, which was the third single. That's pretty awesome. I didn't know that. <laughs> I don't. I barely remember there being backing vocals, much less that sounded like a woman. I'm going to have to go back and hear that track because <laughs> it's been a good while. I wonder if she's the because doesn't I feel like Chevelle has a, a backup female singer occasionally throughout all their songs. And I wonder if she's yeah. always that person. I don't know. 
I don't know. I can't I can't recall too much of hearing that. But um it's Maybe certainly it's another possible. band I'm thinking of, but I thought I don't know. So many bands nowadays have like backup vocals that they don't give credit to. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A bonus um little tidbit of info that um the album title for this Chevelle is weirdly they're opinionated and political, but it's always it's almost always in this like discreet way that it's hard to decipher. This one's a little more on the nose if we look at the album title and the album cover. It's about the fact that that Pete Leffler thinks that bullfighting is is terrible. <laughs> and I and I agree. So hats off to the bull. He's like we he's like we we root for the bull <laughs> in that in that matchup. <laughs> and so Respect to Chevelle for doing that. Yeah, and this was <laughs> another album where he kind of had difficulty writing it as well, um, just like he did the most recent album, too. He actually said that um, he s- cited Billy Corgan and Smashing Pumpkins as an example of getting away from music when hitting a wall. And said, I'm constantly rewriting the songs, trying not to rhyme too much. So, yeah, it, it was an album that they really, really took their time on. And I think, by and large, it paid off. It had some some major... Like I said, some major additions to their discography were on this album. I don't know if I would go as far as to say like you did that it was the last album that you liked right off the bat because I absolutely loved La Gargola when it was when it first was released. Every album since then, La Gargola, North Corridor, um, and the new one, they've all taken time for me to warm up to. I still don't like the North Corridor. <laughs> 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 that's that's fair too that's fair i really only like punchline on that album and that's it yeah yeah exactly <laughs> a couple of songs but the whole album is not that north corridor they got almost too it was like there wasn't much melody left the chevelle is a band that that does a great job of of kind of balancing those melodies and mm-hmm. riffs and on that one it seemed like they were just going pure heavy yeah. and i just i agree I, I didn't i think it's one of their weakest if not their weakest albums yep yeah um, I think they rebounded a little bit with the most recent one that um, Neratias or however you pronounce it, which we talked about in episode 45. This is another one of those episodes. Anytime we do <laughs> yeah, a yeah. list, <laughs> I have to refer to, to all the times we've eight. talked about. Yes. Yeah, see also <laughs> recommended if you like that episode. Hitchrocks.com <laughs> slash episode slash episode <laughs> right, right. index. I should start doing that. I should I should start putting in like the liner notes or something. Also, we talked about this band here and here. <laughs> like it's just going to be this endless chain that you go through as you listen through a cycle, a vicious cycle of itch episodes. Well, speaking <laughs> of endless chains of, of talking about an artist or a band, Dan's got one. Oh boy. Yeah. I was going to say, so this album, the, like you said, the Chevelle album was number four on our list. The number one album of our list in 2011 was skin dread union black. And damn, was this an amazing <laughs> album? <laughs> this album was so good. I paid double price just to get it shipped here because they didn't even release it in the States. Oh. Yeah. And if we, I don't think honestly, if we weren't such huge fans of skin dread at the time, we probably wouldn't even have known about this album, which is crazy considering it has probably one of what should be the biggest singles ever because it features Jacoby Shaddix. (laughs) That'd be the track warning, which is in my opinion, the, the gem, the the biggest gem of this album. Oh no. Uh We got more. What's what's better than warning? There's so many good. Oh man. Like, Cut them, Doom Riff, 
right, make but, your mark, get it now. Oh. But what I specifically said was the biggest gem. Yeah. <laughs> I guess single wise, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, warning warning know. is a is a I've seen pl- videos of of Skindred doing live performances and warning is a monster when they play that yeah. live. Um some of the others are as well, don't get me wrong. But I just that's the one I have memories of. Isn't that the one where they do the helicopter? Uh, probably. Yeah. I think so. The Newport helicopter is the thing where Skindred has their friend, their fans take off your shirt and swing it over your head like a helicopter. Yeah. Um, and and then they go buck wild. <laughs> and I believe they do that during the track warning. <laughs> I, I will say that hearing it live, or at least seeing it live, because I can't say that I've actually seen it live personally. Um, but hearing it live on, on a video or whatever uh, is, is a little bit weird because like he sings both parts. He sings his part. Uh, Benji does. He yeah. sings his part and he sings Jacoby's part. And it's just like, where's Jacoby? <laughs> like, just bring out, just bring out somebody or Dan or Mike, you guys sing. Even Aria, you know, come on, sing, sing Jacoby's part. <laughs> Obviously you're not Jacoby. It's not going to sound like him, but it's live. Nobody cares. Dan got so used to hearing Jacoby guest on like everybody's albums <laughs> that now Every time he hears an album, he just wonders where Jacoby is. <laughs> exactly. Because he's he's supposed to be there somewhere on all the albums. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this album was awesome. When when this album first debuted or when we first got our hands on it, we played every single song on this album for Flavor of the Week. And I I don't even think it was like we, we just played the entire album. Yeah. <laughs> we were gonna be like we, Yeah, we didn't even like separate the songs. We just were like, all right here's the the whole album you're gonna love it trust me (laughs) and i know for a fact like you know i love the first two skindred albums uh you know there's the babylon and roots rock riot and i know we've played a lot of songs off of those but if i get a chance to play a skindred song especially later in the show because it's typically when i try to play our heavier songs I almost always play something off of Union Black. I I just love this album. Like there's, I, I could put this album in, listen to it over and over and over and over and again, and just never be tired of it. Every single song is amazing. They just all completely different in their own respect. They all have such great different subjects, um, and and it's just, yeah, I just love it. Great. Yeah, and that that was one of the coolest things about uh, being able to interview Arya because when we were talking about this album, he's like, wait a minute, we didn't even really re- release that in the states, did we? I'm like, nope, we bought it. Nope. <laughs> we brought, we brought it, it to the States States Imported it. Yeah, so that's, you know, that was the other thing. I think that's one reason why we felt so special, because we already knew that nobody else was playing Skin Dread, but like to be, almost feel like we're the probably the only people in the United States that was playing this album on radio, it just led us, led us to feel a little bit more special than we actually are. <laughs> yeah. If you go back to listen to those episodes, our interview with Aria <laughs> of Skin Dread. <laughs> is episodes 29 and 30 and at some point in there um he makes a joke of the fact that we've we've grown up together and now we have a a permanent and special bond with each other yeah and this is why what you're just talking about it's not entirely true but it's kind of true definitely some cool guys and he was amazing to talk to yeah there's you know definitely great songs i think like i said you know some of my favorites are, are obviously warning cut them doom riff uh, and the other one i did not mention was own you yes like every single song like you could just every single one you they're all great they all could be singles <laughs> if i you know in my opinion and as we sort of alluded to earlier it has a beautiful roaring lion on the cover yep yes <laughs> two beautiful roaring lions on this <laughs> list and I, I love the album title too, union black like i'm not 
you know, I don't, I'm not British, obviously, <laughs> but nor black, you know, the, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there's some, that's the, exactly, that is their symbol though. You know, a British symbol is called the union Jack. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a nice play on words, especially for a British band. It's very clever. Very clever. We appreciate that. <laughs> and for our last one, we really wish that we had itch member Ronnie. Who guested with us on an episode as well, the Alestorm one. I'm not going to look up what number it was, but it was fun, and it was about pirate metal. So enjoy that. We need him to introduce this, but since he's not here, I think Casey's going to have to to do the do the deed for us. Yes, it is in fact Primus Timus. And for those of you that don't know, Primus Timus is a special segment on our radio show that we did every single week. Because we felt that Primus was not played enough on the radio. So we felt it was our obligation to make sure that they get played. And we continue to play a different Primus song every week, not repeating a song for the entire year. And so we were super excited when they released an album while we were doing our radio show. <laughs> yes. Green Nogahide. Green Nogahide. The first full album they had released since 1999. Yes. Since Antipop. Yep. Yeah, because Antipop, you know, they, we've talked about this before, but Antipop is a record that they went on saying that they did not enjoy making. It's one of our favorite albums, but um, they obviously did not have a good time. They went on hiatus for quite some time, and Green Nogahide was the follow-up to that album. It finally it took them, what, 10 years, 11 years, 12 years? Yep, yep. yep. They released they released Animals Should Not Try to Act Like People, which is a, a CD with a handful of tracks on it uh, in 03, and that was that was it until for eight more years after that and um but they came back strong and so we were so hyped whenever we whenever we uh <laughs> found out this was coming and we we played the mess out of it a lot as well it didn't it, disappoint and that was such a relief <laughs> yeah yeah it was really exciting because not only do we have more songs to add to the primus timus but this was the first release since we had been doing our radio show and like we said, I'm pretty sure Primus Time started in 2005. I started, I think, when Ronnie was on the show. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was it had been going for five, six years before we actually had a new album. Um, and yeah, it was just it was just awesome. You got some great tracks off this album, too. <laughs> Tragedies of Coming was the lead single from the album. You also had a couple of a couple of jams in there. Uh, Lee Van Cleef, which is how he says it. <laughs> my personal favorite Hoenn for the man or more on TV. Yeah. I, more I, on I, TV. I love the lyrics on those, both those songs. Hennepin crawler. A lot of good ones. Jilly's on smash. Yeah. As I say, you can't forget Jilly. Jilly you know, Primus one that <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the right thing for them that they put that song on here. Because if there's one thing that is consistent in Primus albums is at some point or another, they're going to talk about somebody being on drugs and it messing them up. <laughs> they do that all over the place. They got the blue collar tweakers on yeah. one album. Brown has a couple songs about uh, Reston Bones has a, a line about his stuff rotting out his teeth and stuff like that. And here we go. Green Nogahide. Jilly's on smack. She won't be coming back. And you also had the, the Fisherman Chronicles with uh, Last Salmon Man. Yes. <laughs> Part four yeah. of the Fisherman's Chronicles, which of, of note to listeners is a series of collected uh, sort of continuing tracks about about fishermen. 
that exists kind of here and there throughout Primus albums. Yeah. And so we yes. we enjoyed this album a lot. We end up playing. We always end up playing Jelly's on Smack around the holidays because that's what the lyrics say. She's always on Smack <laughs> around the holidays. <laughs> around the yeah. holidays. Sometimes it's Christmas. Sometimes it's uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> can I also note that um, this is, I think I can speak for us all on this one, that this is probably the last album that they've done that we all truly yes. love. <laughs> By and far. Because they've released two two things since then. And one of them, the most recent one was the Desaturating <laughs> Seven. Which uh, they released uh, in 2017. Which Dan and I, unfortunately, I mean, we we got to see Primus, which was great, but we had we got to see that entire album played, which was not so great. Yeah, the second half of the show, I wanted to go to sleep. <laughs> we talked about that more way back in episode five. <laughs> <laughs> and then the album before that was a full-on take: Primus and the Chocolate Factory them reimagining the soundtrack to Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, which is a very bizarre and primus thing to yes. do. Um, it's not, I guess you count that as a primus album, even if you, whether you do or don't, you know, it, it, it was a novelty thing. I mean, I guess some might argue that primus in general is just a novelty thing, but instead we wanted to hear about them footlong sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody cooler than just Les Claypool's weird voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the reasons why we did like this album, though, is because it was kind of a return to their funk. Uh, you know, they yes. even they even compared mm-hmm. it to Frizzle Fry, their debut album. And one of the reasons why they felt that way is because I believe they had a drummer by the name of Jay Lane. Um, and he's said to strongly influence the band's sound, hearkening to the old Frizzle Fry days, while also making them way funkier than they ever were. So I, I think that's kind of I think that's kind of one reason why we really like this album, because it is it is pretty funky. It is. I want. I want to note that Primus. Well, not Primus, but I want to note that Les Claypool did do something earlier this year, a very tiny thing, but we'll we'll link to it in the in the notes for this one. There's a short film we'll call it called Precious Metals. It's you can find it on YouTube. It's Les Claypool and Robert Trujillo. Trujillo. Nice. I don't even know how you pronounce Trujillo. the dude's name. The the ba- basis of Metallica. Yeah, you're right. Robert Trujillo, the basis of Metallica. And it's basically for the first part of the video is sort of this like Western style um, encounter between the two. I won't spoil like the actual storyline, but and then the second part of it is just them having a bass jam back and forth for a couple minutes. And it's cool. It's not Primus per se, but, you know, Les does a lot of weird things. And this is one of them. And so uh, so we'll leave you on that note as a, as a quality uh, follow up to this episode. Go look up Precious Metals with Les and Robert, and you will enjoy it, probably. <laughs> 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 we don't promise anything. Though. This does not come with any type of money back guarantee until you start giving us money. <laughs> and even then, on well, Primus <laughs> is up to their weird shit again because they're out on tour, uh, basically doing a farewell to Kings. They're playing the entire Rush album. Which is yeah. just yeah. it's just weird. Like I get playing a cover of songs, but to go out on tour and play somebody else's full length album, that's weird. Yeah. It's totally weird. Somebody else's full length yeah. album. Yeah. Totally weird. I mean But totally weird describes Primus for the entirety of their history. So <laughs> what do you expect? And the last thing I have to say is Primus sucks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, we are Primus and we suck. <laughs> <laughs> and then cue the YouTube comments. They don't suck. Ah. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> Way to not follow up on history there, fella. <laughs> Well, and that became like their theme, basically. Yeah. You know, kind of like yeah. the Urge. When you're at the Urge show, you know, everybody's like, play that motherfucking Urge shit. Like, when you're at a, a Primus show, they start chanting, Primus sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's just their thing. Like, it's, <laughs> which is crazy, too, because, like, imagine if you're like Les Claypool and, like, all of a sudden you, you just say this thinking that you're you're being funny. And lo and behold, now everybody chants that you suck at every concert. <laughs> <laughs> and then he busts out his, his bass with a bow and everything's all good. Yeah. <laughs> what if there's like a guy out there who like genuinely hates the band and he's trying to go and he's like he's like Primus sucks and they're like yeah and then he's like no really they, they really suck and everybody's like yeah and they're just like more excited every no matter how hateful he tries to get so it's just this perfect way of deflecting any type of negativity because no matter how much someone says you suck you're like thank you I really appreciate that they own it and that's so, for sure they own it <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed uh, 10 Turning 10. And uh, if you haven't heard any of these albums, listen to them and let us know <laughs> how you feel about them. Yes. So real quick, I just wanted to say it's real quick. Primus sucks is in the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> the definition for it is it is the band Primus slogan, meaning that you would say it if you really like Primus. They got sick of the slogan after a while, but some people still say it because it's a great slogan. So if you see one post a <laughs> comment on YouTube video of Primus and they say Primus sucks, give them an E high five. <laughs> like, it says it says wrong fan Primus sucks. Noob Primus fan. Dude, Primus doesn't suck. Right. <laughs> fan Primus sucks. Noob fan. Damn straight. Like <laughs> <laughs> the examples are so fucking awesome we need to start utilizing urban dictionary more on this show i don't probably think that was my not a good idea appearance. <laughs> <laughs> that's true did you how did you come across this right I now just did you just google, google search primus, primus sucks, sucks yeah. while we're <laughs> primus the first, sucks. Thing that, first thing that popped up was a rolling storm rolling storm article from 1991 called does primus really suck <laughs> <laughs> question mark yeah, that's exactly what it the is. Answer, the answer is no, no. In, case anybody, in case anybody wants to know. <laughs> They're the shit. Not to be confused with the I holy do. shits, which is also known as the Foo what? Fighters. What? Yeah. This whole thing has gone off the rails. Are you kidding me? You've never heard this story? I think we told this story in a previous yeah. episode, yeah. but by now it's all just a jumbled mess in my yeah. brain. And so well, Foo Fighters <laughs> way back uh, in 2014 played a show in an underground tunnel and they didn't yes. tell anybody. Yes. Yes. And they they didn't even say who they were. They just were headlined the tour as, as uh, the holy shits. Yes. Because that's what people ca- said when they came to that show, saw that it was the Foo Fighters in an underground tunnel. Yeah. And so that's, that's the origin of that chant. Exactly. I, would, that, I agree with that 100%. <laughs> that's exactly what would be coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I'd be calling everybody I knew too. get over here. We hope you've enjoyed our 10 turning 10. We may do an additional 10 before the year's over with, but who knows? (laughs) Yeah, we'll see how we feel. There are so many albums and anniversaries we can talk about. Let us know if you had any albums that meant something to you from 10 years ago. There's a lot more that we did not cover. That's true. And I will say that the chances increase a lot of us doing another episode about 10 turning 10. If you give us suggestions of albums that you would like to hear us talk about, Exactly. So thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Itch Podcast. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. And until next time, rock on. 
If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We've got plenty of links in the show notes to continue the conversation, including the episode's playlist. And you can interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, or through Gmail and itchrocks.com, all at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S. Them footlong sandwiches.